Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. So, um, a couple of little personal announcements for me, actually. Today is significant for me on several different fronts. The first one is today is actually my anniversary. So, 23 years today. 27 years together. Although, I was looking around for Karen and she's gone. She was here earlier, and now she's disappeared. So that's really weird. All this time we've been together on our anniversary, I've lost her. That's it. Uh, the second thing is, it's actually the uh, anniversary of my baptism. So I was baptized. For those of you who don't know what that is, uh, obviously some traditions baptize babies. I was fully immersion baptized. So I'd, I made a decision to follow Jesus at the age of 18. But actually, it was at the age of uh, about 23, I was baptized, which is a very significant event for me, which I'll come on to in a bit. And obviously, the third one is, it's Easter Sunday. And for different people, that will mean different things. For years of my life, Easter Sunday simply meant I wasn't going to work, which is awesome. And in fact, I'm actually on holiday at the moment, which is happy days. I've been off since Wednesday, and I'm off until next Wednesday, so I've got that holiday vibe going on. But that is a big thing for a lot of people, it's, it's a holiday. Or you're just going to stuff your face with chocolate, is another thing, and hot cross buns and all that kind of stuff. Um, although I, I've resisted buying Easter eggs in our house now for some time, because I reckon an Easter egg is actually air wrapped in a thin veneer of chocolate. And it, it is a con. I don't want to upset all of you, but I've got a touch of the old miserly about me on that one. And uh, I don't like buying air. I just think, you know, buy a Yorkie bar. That's a proper bar of chocolate. Why buy one with... Why buy, you wouldn't buy a Yorkie that was, like, hollow, would you? Well, it's just a thought. You know, I don't want to wreck your Easter. But obviously, uh, for us... Easter as followers of Jesus means so much more than that. So I'm going to crack on by reading you something from the Bible, which is an amazing account. This is probably, uh, out of all the stories in the Bible, this is the groundbreaking, historic, um, line in the sand text, where there's a few of them in the different Gospels, that, that basically defines what we believe. So I'm going to take it from Luke, one of the Gospels, and I'm going to read from chapter 23, the burial of Jesus, and moving on to what we know now as the resurrection. Now there was a man named Joseph, this is verse 50 if you're following it in Luke 23, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action to kill Jesus. He came from Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. 
Their leader has been killed. There are a band of followers following this man, Jesus. They started a place there, hoping him. Some people thought he was going to lead some mass rebellion. Other people saw that he was different, but either way, he's dead. They watched him now to a cross. They know he's dead because Roman crucifixion was so brutal. He didn't just get nailed to a cross. He got beaten to a pulp beforehand. So he's been hammered, literally. So he, he's dead. And that means that everyone's heads are down. People are grieving. They're lost. They don't know what's going on. They put their hope in a man. The man has gone. People are walking around with their heads down. Many of you will know what it's like to have hope snuffed out. Well, that happens in life, doesn't it? Hope can be snuffed out. And when hope is snuffed out, you're not looking up. You're looking down, metaphorically speaking, although you might walk around with your head down as well. That's actually what's happening here. And then this happens. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's just a sentence. And so we're missing something of the drama, I think, of the moment. I don't think they casually walked up with the spices. They walked up with the spices with their heads down because they're grieving, because they've lost everything and all their hope has been snuffed out. And then they walk up to the tomb and the stone is rolled away. Now, this is not like a gate. It's, it's not a little stone. This is a massive boulder. A big, heavy rock has been rolled away. And it says they went in. They, sort of, they entered it. I think it would have been more like something like, um, what is going on? What is this? You know, they, they're not like going, oh, stones rolled away. Let's have a little look inside and see what's going on, shall we? Which is the way you can read it. There's already now a creeping sense of wonder starting to settle on them. Bemusement, bewilderment, what's going on? While they were wondering about this, and that means they're now standing inside going, Either someone's stolen the body or has this actually happened that we thought was going to happen? Because Jesus had dropped some hints. He had dropped hints. You now, along the way, they were a little bit slow on the uptake. Now, but Jesus did say some things that when you look back are quite blatant. Like, if, if you destroy this temple, it will come back in three days. He was going, what temple? What are you talking about? but he was actually talking about himself. So he dropped a lot of hints, and there were lots of prophecies as well. So now they're going, is this what we think it is? While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Again, we need to read slightly between the lines. They're standing in the tomb going, is this the thing that he was talking about? And suddenly, 
two men gleaming, angelic figures appear beside them. How would you respond, ladies and gentlemen, if that happened to you? I, I don't think you would just so hark. We must bow thenceforth to the ground and talk with these gleaming gentlemen. I think they probably went something like, what the heck is going on? So they fell to the ground. And the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee. Remember, he says, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. This is that. This is that thing that he spoke about. Now, when they, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So they're going, this thing, he said it was going to happen. I'm telling you, the body's not there. And they were going, oh, stupid, put the kettle on. Calm yourself down. That's not a thing. It's not a thing. But Peter, he's the impetuous one. He was always impetuous, a little bit hot-headed. And I love the reaction here. He's the one. He got up and ran to the tomb and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Amazing words, actually, that those two angelic figures say. And it really cuts through. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And that an amazing question. Have you ever pondered on it? Those of you who read your Bible over and over, why do you look for the living among the dead? What an amazing question to ask. He didn't say something like, calm down, he's alive. He actually poses a question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Can you, why are you even thinking to come here? That's the thing. Why are you even thinking to come to the tomb? Now, it points to a sort of a shallow surface level question. That, why do you look for the living among the dead? Our tombs are for dead people. Jesus is alive, so why are you looking? But also, it points to something a little bit deeper for us today. So I, I wrote down a few questions, and they're very simple questions. And some of you have answered these questions, and some of us need reminded of these questions, and some of us have never answered these questions or choose not to answer them, so I'm going to ask them. I don't, don't have to shout out the answers. They're sort of just questions for you to ponder on. Question number one was a question that I asked 26, 27 years ago, however long it was. What if there is a God? What if? What if there is a God? And you might have said there is no God, but what if there is? Just to suspend that, your belief statement, what if there is? That's the first question. And what if that God had made us? What if he had? What if we're not just particles 
that come out of some primordial soup by accident and then just became this. What if we're not that? What if there's a God and what if this isn't random and what if he made us? And what if he loves us? Like really loves us. And what if because he loves us and he made us and there is a God what if he wants us to find him because he would wouldn't he if there is a God and if he made us and if he loves us wouldn't he want us to find him wouldn't he surely he wouldn't leave us floundering around Stabbing in the dark, hoping that there is some kind of God. And there are therefore clues. To me, there are clues. And some of them are really obvious things, like the world. I, I look at the world and creation, I think, for me, I mean, I always used to think this anyway, before I became a Christian, I always felt it takes a little bit more faith to believe that this is an accident that came out of nothing that it is to believe that there is something. Just to, just, I'm not going to get into science. That's not the purpose of this morning. But I would just simply contend that it's very hard to create something from nothing at all. I think you've got to have something there. I don't think they've solved that one yet. So I think that is an obvious one, that there must be objectively a cause for all of this. Most of you would probably agree with that, right? You can't write a book unless you've got paper, and the paper has to come from somewhere. There has to be an origin for everything. It's the big question that no one's answered unless you say there's a God. And then there's other things, like in creation. I'm fascinated by some of these things. I'm not a, a massive animal geek, but I do like animals. I'm surrounded. I've got a little zoo in my house, those of you who've been over. You know, a very entertaining pet, They're like Lauren Hardy, my cat and dog, and love me animals. But things like the monarch butterfly. Anyone not heard of the monarch butterfly? Anyone know about their migratory? Have you all heard of it then? And you all know about the 3,000 mile journey to the Sierra Nevada? Do you all know about that? You all know about the butterfly that, that gets born in North America and flies 3,000 miles to the Sierra Nevada for winter to get a suntan and then flies back Except it's not just one butterfly that does it. It's like four generations of butterfly because butterflies don't live very long, do they? No. So they mostly like live a couple of weeks and then they snuff it. Have you ever noticed that with butterflies if you keep an ardent watch on them? They die after a couple of weeks and then another one gets born. So what happens, they start in North America and one gets born and it flies a bit, has kids, dies. Another one takes off, flies a bit, has kids, dies. Another one takes off, flies a bit, has kids, dies. A bit like us, really. Another one, you ever thought about that? And then the fourth one flies a bit, has kids, dies. The little kids grow up and think, I want to go back home. So they start flying back. And they fly a bit, and then they land, have kids, and die. And then another one takes off and they land and they have kids and die. And then four generations, they end up back where they started. But they've been doing this for thousands of years. 
how does the fourth generation one know where the first generation one started off? And, and do you know what? You read a National Geographic article about it, because I do that kind of thing. And it says, we don't, it's a mystery. Do you know, they even land on the same trees. They do. They take off and hundreds of years later, there have been millions of the things and they land on the same trees. It's remarkable. It's a clue. It's a, little, it's, it's a God with a beautiful sense of humour who also likes making stuff as well as you. It's a clue. But also there's another clue. And that is what I call the inner yearning, which many of us have. And I think at some point in time, most of us, most of us have sat there or laid down or walked around thinking, surely there is more than this. I cannot scratch the itch that I contain inside me. It's why some people kill themselves. It's why we are medicating ourselves more than ever before. It's why we live with angst. It's why people get depressed. It's why people bury their heads in all kinds of weird obsessions. It's why people get addicted to sex or drink or golf. It's why that happens. Because we're searching, we're yearning for an inner significance. It was the well-known able philosopher Mick Jagger who said, I can't get no satisfaction. But he was right. What, what an on-point philosopher he was. Because we can't, can we? Have you ever noticed that? And there's this thing called the law of diminishing returns. The more we get, the less we like it. I mean, I've got a flitty brain. I flip from things to thing. And nothing ever seems to really satisfy. But it's only in a crisis, it's only when the chips are down, that man or woman tends to stop and ask the question. Having been a pastor now since the mid-90s, I can tell you that I've watched a lot of people die. And I've watched a lot of people go through the last stages of their lives and I've buried a lot of people. And I've been to a lot of crematoriums and I've heard a lot of this. It seems so cruel. Is this it? It only seems like yesterday that we were little kids and now this. I've sat with people while they're dying and I've answered their questions. Most of them, 99.9% of the time, people want to hold hands and say a prayer. Funny how it focuses the mind. And when you're about to snuff it, how having a low golf handicap don't help you anymore. I'm serious. Don't help anymore, does it? All those hours you put in work, all that time at the golf club, and suddenly it's all nothing. Have you noticed that? You don't have to be on this planet long to realise that there is an itch that keeps getting scratched. But we are ridiculous as people. We're so head in the sand that we'd rather believe that there's nothing than a God who loves us, who made us and believes in us and left us clues. A very, very bright man, much, much brighter than 
me called Tim Keller said this, if we have come from random insignificance and when we die, there is nothing but insignificance, then there is no significance in between. Let me explain it another way. If we think we come from nothing and when we die, there's nothing, then what's the point of the bit in the middle? It must be just a sick joke. Why bother with uni? Why bother with exams? Why bother loving my kids? Like, why bother staying up at night worrying about them? What's the point? Do you know what? If there's nothing, and Emily is going to end up as a, a forgotten photograph on a hard disk JPEG thing, that one day someone opens up, they'll find the old technology in 200 years' time. They'll go, what is this strange capsule thing? Oh, yeah, let's plug it in this. And a picture of Emily pops up, and they go, what's that? Nothing, just a person from years ago. Bosh. If that's all life is, how sad is that? And as the Bible says, all we might as well do is eat, drink, and make merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is nothing, then I find that so sad. It's not the reason I believe in Jesus, but it's a spin-off consequence from believing there's nothing. Why bother about caring? Why bother about anything? In fact, a man called Richard Dawkins, another famous scientist, said, actually, because he believes there's nothing, and he's very vocal about it, he just says, well, if there's nothing, which I don't believe there is, there's just nothing, all we actually are is a more sophisticated bunch of cells working together to keep reproducing. And that's why there's wars and rapes and violence. We're actually just a bunch of cells trying to reproduce each other. That's it, and the, and the fittest will survive. And then they say things like, and let's celebrate that great discovery. But actually, if you boil it down, that's it. But I don't believe that. Karen and I, I might have told some of you this before, but Karen and I, three years ago, visited the Warsaw Ghetto. I was actually working in Poland, but we decided to drop in where the Warsaw Ghetto was. For those of you that know what that is, or don't know what is that is, rather, that was where the Nazis encircled 400,000 Jews in World War II before they shipped them to the concentration camps. 300,000 of them died. And they trapped them in an area of 3.2 square miles. It was so densely populated that there were seven and a half people who worked out on average to one small room. And they died in the most horrific circumstances. You could get the death penalty in the ghetto for making music, educating kids. You could be put to death. But you know what happened in the ghetto? And it is a remarkable thing. In the ghetto, they formed an orchestra. And they did dancing lessons. And they set up a school and they would have parties and street festivals. And you think, why would you do that when everyone around you is dying? When there's people on the street dying? Why would you set up an orchestra? And the simple answer is, they had faith. They didn't think that this was it. You see, a devout Jew every morning would say the Shema. And they say it every night. They teach their kids, the last thing you do before you close your eyes and go to sleep 
is you say to Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is, Lord is God. The Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. They say it every morning and every evening. And do you know what that did? It didn't just give them hope. They knew deep in their hearts that this life wasn't it. And there is an amazing holy God in the midst of all that suffering that loved them, that made them, and believed in them. And it impacted their lives in the most amazing way. They set up orchestras and dance clubs and had parties while they watched 300,000 of their brothers and sisters and family members die. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord our God is one every morning, every evening. It says in the Bible that God has placed eternity in our hearts in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And that is one of the signposts I want to say to you this morning, that within each of us, even now within me after years of following Jesus Christ, there is this yearning to be with my Father in heaven. In the Bible, one man called Paul describes, he says, I could, I could live or I could die. Either are good. Because I know that this life, isn't it? There is more. And that is the great hope that Christians have. And that's why when we sing, he's not dead, he's alive, it has significance. We have hope for now. You can have life to the full now. But also, this life, isn't it? And one day it will be when we die, and you will. Hallelujah. We're all going to die. What a good news story for the morning on Happy Easter. But you will, all of you, 100% certainty. You're all going to snuff it, ladies and gentlemen. You've all had it. But one day when we breathe our last breath, for those of you that are in Christ, we'll open our eyes and we'll be all before the King. And then we'll look round. They'll be like, oh, it's Johnny Boston. It's, it's Mike. There's Dorothy. There's Sean and Paul. There's my wife. I found her after all. There she is. She's here. And it'll be like this reunion. And we'll say things like this. Johnny B, do you remember when you pulled up alongside me? And I was walking my dog, but I had to dart off because there was another dog about to have a fight. Do you remember that? And he'll go, oh, I think so. But it's a bit more amazing where we are now than Ashgate Road. <laughs> and it'll be as if we've woken up from a dream. Because we'll really be living. And that's what Jesus did when he rose again. Bible says he broke the curse of death. But also the things that ensnarl us and chain us and put our heads on the ground when we feel like hope is snuffed out. The death and resurrection of Jesus gives us our hope back. Not just in a weird way, but in a proper way. I want to show you a picture. We took this random picture at work. That's a guy I worked with at the end, Andy Hawthorne at the Message Trust. But these other lot. This is about a quarter of our trainees. We we're about to go off and do an event, and we thought, well, let's snap a quick picture of some of the good news stories that's happening at the Message Trust. Joe, so Andy's the guy in the blue check shirt. Joe, the guy, immediately 
to, to, to your right there. Joe injected his brother in heroin and his brother died in front of him. And then his mother died in front of him and he was homeless heroin addict in and out of institutions. Cyril has been here to speak. He was a victim of a, an abuse ring and in and out of prison. And he's now one of our team members on staff doing beautiful things and the first prison he went back into, one he'd been bouncing in and out of, one first prison he went back into as a Christian, 24 people gave their lives to Christ. The woman he's standing next to, Laura, holding hands with, we found her, she was picking food out of a skip, a homeless heroin addict. He's now a senior stylist at our beauticians and hairdressers. The guy standing behind him with a big smile on his face, that's Terry, and Terry was a serious alcoholic and pretty much homeless. Girl standing next to him, he's called Sarah, the one there with the smile and the, uh, the blue cardigan, and she now works in the cafe. Her dad had serious aquaphobia and lived his whole life behind a bank of computer screens, and mum, just a terrible, abusive alcoholism, and no hope, no future, just nothing. And now look at the smile on her face. And Ruth served eight years in prison for violence and actually had no future at all, and is now one of our best cafe servers. And Neil, working now in uh, Bespoke, again, a, a heroin addict. And Danny, standing next to him, a kid coming out of a troubled background. And Gemma, at the end, who's now an in-demand stylist at our, one of our businesses, was, again, a serious, serious alcoholic. Absolutely no hope. And look at the smiles on their faces. Do you want to know why they've got smiles on their faces? Do you want to know why their lives are like that now? That's Jesus Christ. He's the only one who could do that. I hope that makes you feel like you want to celebrate. There's a whole bunch of lives there that were train wrecked and on the floor. We didn't set that photo up. We just grabbed them from around the centre and said, come and line up and have a photo. And look at their faces. Look at them. Smiling. That is the resurrection. That's the resurrection of hope. It's the resurrection of life. That is what gives you a beautiful future when you place your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. The resurrection is not a fantasy. It's not just some weird thing. The reason I'm showing you this is to say, you can't make people have smiles on their faces like that when they watched his brother die after injecting his brother in heroin. You can't just make someone smile like that. That is the power of Jesus Christ in someone's life. You, I can't give you any more persuasion than that. But some of you will stay in there and think, well, it's all right for them. Because they've had really terrible, terrible lives. So, you know, if you say, well, have a new job and a new hope and a new future, we'll give you a home, you'll say, well, that's cool. You know, that, that's uh, easy for them because it's so obvious that they need help. I'm just an ordinary bloke. I'm an ordinary woman. I've got an ordinary life and a family. And what does this mean for me? Well... We're going to cover that base as well. So where's Rich? Rich, come on, mate. Come on. I'm going to ask Rich a few questions. Give him a warm welcome, everyone. Come on, Rich. So uh, we're going to have to share a microphone because we're, it's all about the budget, really. Yeah. So, um, you know. So uh, this is Rich. Everyone is married to Marie, and um, it's been a significant bit of time for Rich, so I'm going to ask Rich a few questions, and uh, he's going to share. So, 
Uh, Rich, just tell us a, a bit about who you are and what's happened over the last few months. Okay. Uh, well, this is the professional. I've got my L plates on, <laughs> so I need some notes. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. Um, yeah, I've had quite an interesting few months. Um, looking back over the last few years, really, um, I can now see, and it's easy to see, that something's been missing from my life, but I didn't realise that at the time. I was kind of on life's hamster wheel, not even aware of a hole somewhere here. I didn't know a piece of the jigsaw was missing. And I looked for happiness and some contentment in one of life's dead ends. And I got stuck in a cul-de-sac full of short-term gains and, frankly, some harmful stuff to me and potentially almost my family. Marie, my wife, had turned to Jesus. I decided that it wasn't for me. It wasn't worth me considering faith. I wasn't worthy of this forgiveness that I'd heard about. It was ridiculous for me to think Jesus could love me. Why would he? I knew best. I decided that I didn't deserve that forgiveness or happiness. My baggage... I don't feel anything like these guys that were behind me a moment ago, but my baggage through life had been constantly swept under a carpet. And I never dealt with anything. And about 18 months ago, that carpet got way too bumpy. And I had a, a nervous breakdown, and the dark clouds descended. And my light had really gone out. Something had to change. Maria had been tending RK for a while now. I wanted to support her. I wanted to do something at least. So I began to occasionally come here to RK. Now on my first day, I remember meeting Carl. <laughs> I seem to remember making it quite clear that I'm here to support my wife. Not a Christian. But the response I got took me back a little bit. Because I was told that one day Carl had been stood in my shoes. And I was really quite taken back that this faith isn't something you have to be born into. Even some of the church seniors here haven't always worked, walked with God. So by the end of my first visit here, I've been invited to a retro games night. Awesome. <laughs> Dan had asked me to go and meet him and have a no-strings-attached drink chat in a pub, which I did. And one thing that stays with me is I only knew two hymns that had got a bit of meaning to me. Amazing Grace was one of them. And my first time here, those two hymns, those only two hymns that I knew, were played. It's probably the only two we knew at the time. <laughs> they... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. 
But although I made it clear that I wasn't a Christian, I left here, I left RK on that day feeling a bit happier than I had done for a long time, and I couldn't understand why. As the weeks went by, I, I, I attended RK a few times, supporting my wife. And each time I left feeling slightly overwhelmed as to how welcome I'd been made to feel here. And I kept leaving with this, this warm feeling that I didn't really understand. So I was beginning to rebuild myself a little bit. Um, I was beginning to enjoy church. I was beginning to listen to a message that I hadn't listened to before. And I still, couldn't, well, <laughs> I still couldn't believe how welcome I was made to feel. It was nice, but church was not still really not for me. I didn't deserve that forgiveness or the love that I heard about. But the people here were amazing, and this inner peace that many Christians have puzzled me somewhat. So <laughs> that's where I am over the last few years, Carl. So... Um What's happened over, what's the significance, what's the significance over, say, the last few weeks, I suppose, in particular? Okay. Um, a few months, few weeks, whatever. So, again, looking back at hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> um, over the last few months, I'd started to make some great friends here, um, away from my old life. Um, this was becoming more of a family to me, a family that I enjoyed visiting. I didn't include myself in that, but it was like a nice relative, and I kept leaving, feeling feeling fulfilled by something, and I didn't really understand it. Um, my amazing wife, Marie, suggested that I go to the Alpha course, and I was very lucky that um, there was a launch night happening. And I kind of dismissed that anything would come from it at the time. But then I went to the launch night, and there was a few things that were said to me. I had a few conversations during the night. But there was two really significant questions that changed the, the path that I was on. The first one was, it's actually all right to ask why am I here? It was such an obvious question but where on earth could you go and ask that? Alpha was great. The other thing that, that, um, that stays with me still from the Alpha launch night was something Mark Greenwood said, for those of you who know him. He said, go and take a proper look. You know how our mums and dads used to say this when we were as kids? Go and have a proper look. And something stayed with me. And I thought, well, why don't I go and take a proper look? I never knew anywhere where I could go and answer, uh, sorry, ask these questions. So a couple of weeks later, I pondered it, whether should I, where shall I sign up, shan't I? Um, and I went to a very good friend's house, Andy. Um, we went to watch a football match. And it finished by about nine o'clock at night. And I think I let him go to bed about half past 12 or something like that after asking, where did your journey begin? And the floodgates kind of opened, and it was awesome. Um, before I actually signed up, I had a really good chat with, with Dan, 
about, is it right for me? Can I go? I'm not a Christian. And I filled Dan in a bit of my background, which I'll, I'll not go into now, but um, from the little that I told Dan that night, Dan said something to me that has stuck, stuck in here, but also at the time had me pinned up against the back of my chair, literally. He said, perhaps you should forgive yourself. I don't mind saying I've been for counselling, I've been some bits and bobs since I had a breakdown. And those few words that night hit the spot more than any counselling that I'd had, more than any other conversation that I'd had. And I was overwhelmed. It was, looking back now, that was my moment. That was my moment of realisation. And I didn't know where things were going to lead to from there. But those dark clouds that had been following me around lifted. The hole here somehow began to fill. And this smile, a genuine, real smile for the first time in a while. I can't tell you how humbled I was by that. I got home that night. I said my first prayer. And I knew something was changing. So in the few weeks after that, I, I signed up for Alpha. And I kind of knew things were going to change. I didn't know how. But Alpha was just the beginning of me starting to understand what was happening to me. I really genuinely didn't know. Um, and I went into it with an open mind and I looked at the evidence. And the case for believing all this became stronger and the evidence and the argument that I'd had before started to evaporate for the case against, I mean. And four weeks into Alpha, I really came to the conclusion it's true. It's all true. The evidence is too strong. I found this this inner peace that I've never, ever felt before. I felt incredibly humble. The word Jesus made me smile. So Alpha and RK and some, some very special people to me led me to a place where I kind of knew there was a door, but I'd forgotten about it. And they helped me to listen to the knocking at that door. And I opened it and invited Jesus into my life. <laughs> what more is there to say? I don't think I've stopped smiling since. It's the best thing I've ever done.
And after the fourth week of Alpha, I got home and, uh, sorry, I didn't get home. I ended up giving Dan a lift home and we sat on Dan's driveway. And Dad said, Dan said a little prayer for me. And at that point, I was 100% in. <laughs> so. What would, you, what would you say to people sitting out there who are thinking about it, looking, inquiring? Say, so, <laughs> quite a short answer really. Never, 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 never say never. I've spent a lot of time sitting up there thinking, I'm the only one who hasn't got it sorted in this room. I don't think that's quite right. No, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> but really, if there's anybody that's been where I've come from in the last few weeks, never say never. What have you got to lose by exploring? What have you got to gain by exploring? And perhaps if, if you're anything like me, you probably don't know the answer to what you've got to gain. I didn't. But if there's anybody doubting out there, I promise you, it's worth finding out. I've learned that Jesus isn't going to force his way into my life. But it's in all of our powers to invite him in. And probably... <laughs> how long have I got? <laughs> I think finally, the last thing really is... is that even if you haven't got it all sorted in your mind, I certainly haven't. You don't have to understand it all. You don't have to have an answer for everything. Um, <laughs> things like suffering, which is a question that I found lots of people know. But Sam, when he preached the other week, sort of really hit home with me by saying, Jesus is part of that solution and not part of that problem. So here I am. I'm in. <laughs> I'd love us just to pray. Pray for Rich before he gets back to his seat. So why don't you stretch out your hands to him and let's pray for him. Pray for him and Marie, the kids. Father, pray your richest blessing on... Rich and Marie and the family. Pour his spirit out on them, Father. New day, new start, new beginning. Resurrection power in their lives, we pray. Lead them into a whole new future. Many more chapters to be written. Do something beautiful ongoing in their lives. Thank you, Father, part of this family. Thank you for Rich's boldness and courage in testifying, giving you the glory and all the honour. We pray you'd honour him back for that, Father. Bless him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him another clap. Back to his seat. Brilliant, man. So, it's resurrection power. New life, new hope, new future, new destiny. It's not make-believe, it's not fiction, is what we're saying. The resurrection is a historical account. We believe 100%. I'm so, it happened. We see the evidence of this working out in people's lives all the time. And all it is, is for you to say, Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and rose again. And I'm in. I'll follow him. And I'll stop living my way. I'll go God's way now. 
And that's a process that takes some time. I'm still learning what it means to lay down my own selfish interests. But it is a journey where you begin by saying, my life is now submitted to the living God and I'll follow Jesus now. So I'll finish with those questions. What if God made the heavens and the earth? And what if he made you? And what if he loves you? And what if he gave you that yearning inside is calling out to you? What if? That's got to be worth looking at, isn't it? But there's another thing too, and it is just the briefest of points. So many followers of Jesus Christ do not live in the power of the resurrection. We live with the power of the cross. We know that Jesus died for us, but we don't live in the power of the resurrection. We live with a deep sense of hope and joy. Not a weird joy. It gives us weird looks, but a deep inner joy. You know I have a grumpy face, but I have deep inner joy. I do, it gets me up in the morning. It's very deep, but it is there, I assure you. Karen said to me while we were out for dinner in London, she said, I think people look at you as if you want to kill them. You look like you want to kill them. You look so angry and aggressive. I went, yeah, but inside I feel so at peace. And I do, I do have shalom. As a Christian, we can live with resurrection power. There's three responses if you don't know Jesus, and you see them in that account. Very simply, Peter ran to the empty tomb. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to get on it. I want to find this out for myself. A bunch of others will add initial doubts. You might be in that category. If you read on in the account, a few people are going for a stroll along the road with the Lord, and it took them a time to realize it. Oh, there he is. We've been talking to him the whole time. And some of us take time. Taking time is okay. Get on an alpha course. Keep coming to church. Doubting, that can be a bit of a smokescreen. But wrestle with your doubts. If it's true, if I'm right, that's got to be worth wrestling through. And some of you are ready to run towards him now. You're just ready. You're just sitting on the fence, but you're ready. So I'm going to pray now. And, and we'll commit this time to the Lord. And then we'll have a, we'll have a, have we got like a tub thumping jamboree of a worship song to end with? Marlene. Excellent. We've got two. Come on. Brilliant. And we're going to worship. We're going to worship our risen Savior. So that'd be good, wouldn't it? But let's bow our heads and pray. Let's thank God. I mean, thank God for Rich, eh? Thank God for us, our lives, the fact we, we know Jesus. Thank God for that. Thank God he's met with us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for new hope, new life, new destiny, new future. Thank you for eternity. One day we'll be there together. And we pray that we won't just be there together, us lot, all our family members and our mates and work colleagues will look around and go, wow, look who's here with us. Pray for that day.